You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. General Order 1 will never stick as a name. Alan Seiler. The Prime Directive is not just a set of rules, it's a philosophy, and a very correct one. Veronica Nashville. Live long and prosper. And joining us this week is the host of the Discussing Trek podcast from the Discussing Network, Clarence Brown. Welcome to the show, Clarence. Uh, thank you for for letting me join you guys. Happy Welcome. To be yeah, happy to have you. Yeah. How's it going, Clarence? It's going going great. Can't can't wait to dice up the Prime Directive and see how <laughs> often it's actually followed. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that'll be interesting. Clarence and I did we first meet. Through Dragon Con or through Hulanta? I first saw you at a Hulana, and then we yeah, eventually, that's, eventually that's met That's what there I was thinking. Well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, before we started our podcast here, I used to do a like a review show every Thursday night. We would review the new episode of um, Star Trek, obviously. And uh, I would have different people on every week. And Clarence was on like four or five times. Yeah, yeah, it was fun joining you guys for those recaps. Yeah, that was one of those like, you know, COVID is raging and no one's leaving their house. So we have to find ways to entertain ourselves and entertain each other. And I I had so much fun doing that. And I was always grateful when you were available to come on. Yeah, it was always great. You had me and I can't wait to, you know, join you guys tonight and see what we can talk about. Yeah, cool. So you're, so you're the host of the Discussing Trek podcast on the Discussing Network. Is that, do I have that right? Yes, yes, that is correct. I host a podcast with a few of my fellow friends, pundits, Trekkies, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, <laughs> where we dice up all the episodes as much as we can. Uh, we don't claim to be experts, but we have fun talking about it, and that's what it's all about, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So how did you get into Star Trek? Oh, man, I sure I never caught any of the original until the reruns of course I was too too young <laughs> but but I did catch TNG later in its run and of course when DS9 came out I was all in so yes. that's yeah, that's kind of when I when I got my start it's kind of hard to watch them back in that time uh in the mid to late 90s but you know uh wherever I could get it from I was definitely down right so did so- you uh sorry did you circle back to the original series later on I've I, honestly, a point of shame. I have not seen every original series episode. I've seen Dude. most. <laughs> I've seen most. Uh, I, I was kind of warned to stay away from season three, but I've seen some of those as well. So, hey, man, uh, there's still some off. classics in season three. I agree. Yeah, it's Come not on. season three is not objectively awful. Not objectively <laughs> awful. It's bad compared to the rest. It's it's not as good as the rest of the the first two. But it's not really overall objective awful. It's got some bad episodes. Probably the worst yeah. is The Children Shall Lead. But um, you can watch it. It's a watchable. Would y'all agree? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Even the bad ones are fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of them are campy. 
Yeah. Yes. <laughs> there are some genuinely good episodes in season yeah. three, though. It gets a bad rap. It's kind of like DS9 season one in that respect, where right. it gets a bad reputation because the worst episodes are remembered more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. But so, it, yeah, it's 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 very watchable, like Keith said. Yeah. Yeah. So, so with the exception of that and TAS, you know, I, I've I've seen everything else. So you know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> rock on. Okay, we're gonna be nostalgia people. You gotta watch TAS too, man. No. It's really <laughs> seriously, it's good. Oh, it's it's good. really good. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing you came on this show man because we're gonna rescue you from yourself it's a, it's a trick we're just gonna watch tas now <laughs> all right so tonight we're talking about the prime directive but first keith you had a few words that you wanted to say yeah we we often do uh, news and we do uh this week in trek history for our shows and um for a long time i've been trying to get away from the sad things for a lot of times i would do like you know, who died this week and stuff like that. But that was starting to feel a little maudlin. So I always just do birthdays and little events. But this week, I really felt that we had to talk about two. Uh, we had we lost two luminaries, I think, this week uh, that were associated with Trek. Now, the first has um, one episode association with Trek, but it's worth noting for a couple of reasons. And that was the late, great Paul Servino, mm-hmm. um, who most people would remember from his role as Cicero in Goodfellas. And for those who have seen the movie, remember, he was... He was the mob boss that was in jail and was still cooking that really weird jail setup where they were like cooking lasagna and everything like that. And he's using a razor blade to slice up the garlic. But Paul Stravino on Star Trek was Worf's brother, Nikolai Rajinko, who had been mentioned earlier in the series. And remember, I think it was the episode was a heart of glory when Worf um, first met the other Klingons. And he talked about the fact that he had a brother who went to Starfleet and hated it and left. But Worf went through it. And that was pretty much all we ever heard. Even when he met his parents, they didn't mention his brother. They didn't say like, Nikolai says hello or anything like that. (laughs) And he shows up in a seventh season episode where, ironically enough, Nikolai violates the prime directive (laughs) and pretty badly. (laughs) uh, I cannot say personally that I liked the performance. I just it. I just didn't buy them as brothers. I didn't. I love Paul Savino. I didn't personally like it, but he is Worf's brother and therefore a great legacy character for Star Trek. So what did you guys think about that episode and about um, Paul Savino playing Nikolai? Well, the the portrayal of, of Worf's uh, adopted brother was different from what it had been in the Starfleet Academy books. So mm, I was really? Im- immediately didn't care much for it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. But I mean, I, as a performer, he, he's great. And I've, yeah. I've enjoyed him in plenty of other things. It's not a criticism of his performance at all. Uh, like mm-hmm. you, though, I have a hard time buying him as Warp's brother, and I forget that he exists until I'm reminded of it. Yeah. And, and, and I it, rare, rarely think of that episode at, at all. Yeah. Right. Anyway, so. It was called Homeward, Alan. I had, I had yeah. mentioned that. And there's yeah. a funny scene. It's almost like Gaiden with, with a cue because there's a scene where uh, Nikolai and Worf are about to get into a fight. And Nikolai does this weird hand thing. And he throws his hand back like they're getting ready to throw down. And I guess you could assume that since Worf is a Klingon, they fought a lot when they were kids. And maybe Nikolai is a real badass fighter. But it just doesn't work in the scene. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, the other one, um, I think everybody had probably heard of, and that was the great, great, great actor, David Warner, who also mm-hmm. passed away uh, this week. David Warner has so many credits. I mean, my gosh. I think the first time I personally noticed him was in a movie called Time After Time. Yeah. The one with about, um, who else started? Oh, another Star Trek connection, Malcolm McDowell. Mm-hmm. Started H.G. Mm-hmm. Wells. And... Right. 
David Warner plays a serial killer who gets a hold of H.G. Wells' time machine and goes through time killing people. Uh, it's a great sh- it's a great movie for those who haven't seen it. But of course, David yeah. Warner's yeah yeah it's, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Of course, David Warner has so many other credits and just everything from um, I'll get to the main one from he has a role in Tron. Um, another role that I just love David Warner in is he played Rage Al Ghul in Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. And he just, the way he voiced that was just, to me, amazing. But of course, what most people would think of and what we're talking about here is his roles in Star Trek. And David Warner had not just one, but I believe, what, three roles in Star Trek? Yep. He, he played in... Um, as he was in Star Trek, the final frontier, he had just a little role as a Federation representative of St. John Talbot. He was more memorable two years later where he came back and played Klingon Chancellor Gorkin in Star mm-hmm. Trek VI, the undiscovered country mm-hmm. brought a real, just as a, as a kind of a Shakespearean trained actor, he was, he brought a real, um, I thought a real solidity to that role. Um, he's one of those people, no matter what he played, you watched him, but of course his most famous role is as Gull Madrid, mm-hmm. the Cardassian who tortured Picard in the awesome two-part episode Chain of Command. I, I see you yeah. there. Uh, I see you there, Clarence, uh, clapping on that. that yeah, he, he may have said? he may have had three roles in Star Trek, but yeah. he had four lights. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. It's just a phenomenal <laughs> role, and he and Patrick Stewart played off of each other. I mean, you're talking about two Shakespearean actors who are just at the top of their craft. It's one of the best episodes of Star Trek I think we, you've ever seen. And there's like what you just said, Alan, with the four lights. It's one of those shows like like the Trouble with Tribbles or something. Even people who don't know Trek know that. They know the line, the four lights. They know about him. It's just a phenomenal actor. Yeah. If you're a sci-fi fan, David Warner is legendary. He's had yeah. so many credits. So, yeah, that's that's a huge loss. And, um, yeah. And in comments, uh, one of our Facebook viewers uh, reminds us about Tony Dow, mm-hmm. who was a uh, recurring director on DS9. Good point. And, yeah, and, and has lots of other credits, too. He was yeah. uh, the special effects supervisor on the 1996 Doctor Who movie starring um, Paul McGann, and then just a ton of other things, too. Um, and I also want to quickly say we're going to get comments and questions as we uh, go into our discussion. If you notice that your name isn't displaying then you know do us a favor and like type your name as the beginning of your comment so we'll know who it is that's chatting with us right and one real quick thing i I hadn't checked but as of yesterday tony dow who by the way uh, first came to fame as wally um beaver's older brother on leave it to beaver uh, a day or two ago um cnn and others reported he died and then his wife said he hadn't died yeah Uh, i checked I checked about three hours ago. No, I'm not taking that. I checked about six hours ago, and they said his health was declining, but I don't know if he's truly passed away. He has. What? Yeah, they can. Yeah, he has. It's a tough situation for his family because he's been in a hospital. Absolutely. And right. um, yeah, he, he they have confirmed now that he has passed away, and uh, he's. I mean, he'll be remembered forever. If 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 nothing else, leave it to Beaver. But I mean, he does like like Alan said, so many things. From DS9, he directed Fields of Fire, which is a very memorable episode. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. A lot of Babylon Five. He was like a visual yeah. effects uh, supervisor for Doctor Who, the TV movie. Yeah, he's uh, a great legacy. I did not know that. Amazing, uh, rest uh, in peace. 
I, as usual, have something completely off topic to say. Okay. What, you? <laughs> that, is, that is slightly related. So, Keith, when you were first talking mm-hmm. about the first person and how he had the character that was in a prison and was um, cooking lasagna and cutting up things with a, with a switchblade and stuff, it reminds me. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, it reminded me of, um, oh, no, now I'm blanking on her name. <laughs> oh, good. Good Jane job. Ray. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh. it reminded me of her character in Orange is the New Black. When you were oh, Kate, uh, okay. Kate Mulgrew. Mulgrew yeah. Yes, Kate Mulgrew. Oh. See, I had it in my head a minute ago, and I was thinking, Kate Mulgrew, <laughs> yeah. Kate Mulgrew. And of course, it went right out when I started talking. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So tonight, we're talking about the Prime Directive. And Keith, you've been campaigning this for us for months. So I was going to let you <laughs> kick it off for us and get us started on our, on our discussion of the Prime Directive. The reason I like talking about the Prime Directive, is I like thinking about it, is if you look at all the great science fiction franchises and the big, some well, your definition of Big Three may vary, but mine would be Star Trek, Babylon Five, and probably for me Farscape. But there's so many on television. There's there's Firefly, there's Stargate, there's Star Wars, and it, you look at all these um, Babylon Five. You look at all these um, science fiction franchises. And Star Trek is the only one that has anything like a prime directive. And where and it's it's a highly, if you want to call it, it's a highly moral law. Uh, it's a highly socially conscious law. It belays the time in which Star Trek was created because Gene Kuhn, the, the legendary Gene Kuhn who helped run Star Trek for the first two, two and a half years, was the one who conceived the, the prime directive. And this was at a time the United States was involved in the Vietnam War. And there were lots of conflicts conversation about these superpowers using these smaller countries as basically their their proxies and the domino theory and the whole idea of do we have the right to go into these quote-unquote less civilized which is by itself a tricky term nations and exert our influence and star trek does that Unlike any other science fiction show I've ever seen, for example, I look at you look at Stargate and they just like wander through the Stargate and come out with guns literally there and they tell them that you know they came to the eye and blah blah blah. They just don't care. <laughs> it's Your amazing. God is fake. Here's a gun. <laughs> yes, <laughs> all the time. Bill O'Neill's cracking jokes, and I I think Star Trek. I think the Prime Directive is problematic, and I think it's trouble. I think it's something that's hard to to um, enforce. But I've always thought it makes sense because I think that if you look at the real life examples that even to this day where we mess with other countries and then the fallout is horrible, everything from the British Empire to sometimes the United States, I think it's something that's worth discussing. And I just wanted to see what people thought about it, because I think it's a thing that's complicated but necessary. And a lot of people think it's like a biggest piece of bogus stuff they've ever seen in Star Trek. <laughs> I mean, I think it's one of those things where you you can't win um, because... Mm-hmm. If you get into a situation and um, it, it breaks the prime bird directive and things go well, great, pat on the back. But if you go in and break the prime directive, oh, no, you're bad. Um, and if you don't break the prime directive and bad things happen because you didn't, oh, no, you're bad. And <laughs> so there's like it just depends on how the outcome ends, I, it, whether doing something is good or bad. Are we helping people? Um, in the long run, or is it worth it to do this? I mean, that's there's there's no way to know. Okay, 
Yeah, let me real quick. This will take ten seconds. Let me. Uh, there's so many. It, it was a, the Prime Directive was originally called General Order One, and then as we learned in Strange New Worlds, it was renamed the Prime Directive. <laughs> uh, but a real quick summary of the basics of it is what General Order One originally said was thus: the Prime Directive prohibits Starfleet personnel and spacecraft from interfering in the normal development of any society and mandates that any Starfleet vessel or crew member is expendable to prevent violation of this rule as the right of each sentient species to live in accordance with its normal cultural ev evolution is considered sacred. No Starfleet personnel may interfere with the normal and healthy development of alien life and culture. Such interference includes introducing superior knowledge, strength, or technology to a world whose society is, here we go, incapable of handling such advantages widely. Starfleet personnel may not violate this prime directive, even to save their lives or their ship, unless they are acting to write an earlier violation of said culture. This directive takes precedence over any and all considerations and carries with it the highest moral obligation. That's pretty heavy. That's so, the prime directive. So does that mean them helping the Bajorans was against the prime directive? What do y'all think? Dead silence. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was asking well, Keith. I yeah. mean, in general, well, like anyone. There, there's two things with the prime directive. This is very interesting. The prime directive, if you look at its its, uh, its application, um, what is generally considered as um, what people talk about is in Kirk's time, the prime directive was a lot looser. And the captain seemed to be given a much more of a leeway to violate. Now, everybody talks about how Kirk violates it a lot. But in Kirk's time, it appears that seeing a planet of people that are quote unquote primitive that are about to die because an asteroid is going to hit them and using Starfleet technology to save the planet was not considered a violation of the prime directive. Yeah. But by the time we get to next generation where Gene Rottenberry, I think maybe some of his beliefs had evolved. And also there was the whole thing of Picard and the company being a little less cowboyish than Kirk. There's the episode pen pals where, Picard was saying, hey, that's the way it goes. He was going to let that planet die. Mm. Um, even in the episode Who Watches the Watchers, when the one guy fell and was going to die, Picard chastised Beverly saying, you should have let him die. Um, mm. So it all, so there's that point, Veronica, but then there's, that's for so-called primitive cultures, which is typically meant as pre-warp. But then what you're speaking of is the other one, which is if you have a culture that is warp capable or highly advanced, if they're not part of, say, your federation, then the prime directive says you don't have the right to just go interfere with another planet because you want to. And I think that's what you're mentioning with the Bajorans and perhaps the Cardassians. Right. Yeah. I, the, the prime directive really is whatever that episode needs for it to be. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's been interpreted yeah. so many different times on, on Enterprise, although they didn't have the prime directive on Enterprise. But nevertheless, their their idea of interfering or not interfering was, you know, this species will die out and this other species may become the sentient or the dominant species far, far in the future. Right. Next right. generation had their own interpretation. My favorite interpretation of the prime director was from mirror mirror though. When Kirk said to the Hawkins, our highest law is that your world is yours and it's going to stay that way. And I think that is the best version of the prime director mm. yeah. where it's, mm -hmm. you know, diverting an asteroid so it doesn't hit a planet and kill a population isn't interfering the prime director. It's not yeah. interfering with that right. culture. It's allowing them to continue. Yep. Right. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. And the same thing, I mean, even if it's a warp capable civilization and you're interfering in that and their and the internal um, developments on their planet, I think you're violating the prime directive because that their world should be theirs. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how I think about it is that, you know, as a general order, does that mean it's a rule or just a guideline? Uh, which which one is it? Are there real consequences if it's right. broken? And I think there never have been. <laughs> there are supposed to be, except in the wording of it. The wording yeah. of it is very clear. You know that there that there is like you have to give up your life and your ship mm-hmm. to obey this directive, right? So with with those consequences, it mm-hmm. makes it for a good story point to have. I think all, almost all these cases are gray areas that you that we're faced with in these stories. And I think that's what makes it ultimately interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, there's a rule that they should be obeying, which they rarely do. But if you look at the story itself, yeah, uh, most of the time there's a good reason or a huge gray area that we're looking at. Yeah. So one of our viewers, our buddy Dan Leckie from Scotland. What's up, Dan? Is- is asking Clarence if you've ever had this discussion or anything like this discussion on your podcast. Oh, we question it every episode. (laughs) (laughs) It it comes up so often. It's almost like it's not no point in even talking about it because it's going to come up and it's going to be broken. But again, it's that gray area, which makes the story interesting and fun. So yeah, yeah. All the time it has to come up. It's part of Star Trek. Okay. So I have the biggest Prime directive breaker ever. Okay. Captain Janeway. Why? Tuvix. Oh, here we go again. <laughs> she killed an entire new species. It was completely unnatural. She she just murdered him. I think you're just trying to inject Tuvix into the conversation. <laughs> yeah. We're not getting pulled into the Tuvix rabbit hole again. <laughs> but yeah, because she saved two people though. <laughs> right, right. But right. she killed an entire new species. All right. Well, okay, let's anyways. let's put a pin in that and we'll come back to Tuvix <laughs> again at some point. Hey, uh, you can't just yell Tuvix in the middle of any Star Trek conversation. <laughs> Tuvix! Oh, that is okay. Now you know I can see I can see us playing all kinds of weird Star Trek games, and every now and then Veronica just yells Tuvix! <laughs> like a trump yeah. card. <laughs> right. Uh, Charles, one thing you said, and I had this is I thought was very interesting. You mentioned Mirror Mirror and the Hulk. And back to what Clarence said about the Prime Directive. The Hulkans are ridiculously primitive. And one of the things that's very interesting is because what? They have dilithium. The Federation revealed itself to them and their power and their might. That's very interesting because there's a couple of episodes. And then the episode um, Friday's Child. Is that the one with Julie yeah. Newmar? And the same thing. Now, of course, maybe the Klingons got there first and already revealed the fact that there were alien cultures. And I think that's a big issue with the Federation is what do you do in borderlands where you have the Romulans and the Klingons and the Cardassians and the Ferengi who don't have a prime directive? And they just like show up and say, hey, here we are. But in Mirror Mirror, I always found it interesting that what does the Federation say? Okay, well, the Hulkans are primitive, but they're basically their entire planet is made of dilithium. So we're going to go down and, and break their culture and announce ourselves because they obviously is, that's what they did. Yeah. Well, we don't know for a fact. I mean, how advanced the Hulk the Hulkins were. I mean, all we saw of them was you know the one guy in a robe sitting <laughs> on, a, on a what is that? What do you call it? A pedestal? A, a stage of some kind? A dais. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's great. Um. Yeah. So we don't. I mean, we don't know how advanced or not advanced the Hawkins were. They knew what dilithium was, and they're able to interact with the starship crew. Uh, see, I was thinking that was like a Ren fair, and they just went <laughs> kind of people, <laughs> and they just went down and announced themselves. 
<laughs> maybe, but I mean, yeah. we don't we don't know that it wasn't wasn't seen on screen. I mean, ultimately, like Star Trek is a fantasy of benevolent colonialism. You know, and it's a way to tell Western stories, mm-hmm. adventures in far off land stories, stories at sea, but without the the, the historical context that we have. Like if we if we watch right. a Western now. And you have to deal with the fact that it, usually it's a bunch of white dudes playing indigenous peoples and right. the real history of what happened in America. You know what I mean? Whereas Star Trek is a way of telling those kind of stories without that baggage. And I think the prime directive, um, in addition to being a, just a dramatic point for the episode, is a way for them to say, no, like we're telling those kind of stories, but in a way where we're the good guys. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that could be so, true. Just a real quick to jump mm-hmm. in here. Uh, Kyle Jones from the Discussing Network hey. says, hey, Janeway can do no wrong, but agrees with Veronica. Tuvix! Tuvix! And Matt Sweatman, I see your comment, and I'm going to get to it. I'm, I'm saving it. so Because <laughs> it's a so, biggie. So, Alan, you haven't weighed in yet. What, what are your thoughts on the Prime Directive, generally? Um... I mean, okay, let me come back to the the quote that I had at the beginning of the show when we did our introductions. I want to read the full quote. Okay. The the prime directive is not just a set of rules. It's a philosophy and a very correct one. History has proven again and again that whenever mankind interferes with a less developed civilization, no matter how well-intentioned that interference may be, the results are invariably disastrous. Mm. I think that's so interesting. And that was Picard. That was from... Season one. Uh, uh, I don't remember the episode, but uh, symbiosis. It may have been. It may have been. Yeah. That's the one with the planet where the people thought they had a, a, a fatal disease and they thought they were taking medicine from the other planet, but they were basically drug addicts. Yeah. That's the one oh, the guys with two in it. Yeah. 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 Mary yeah. Patrick or whatever his name yeah. is. Yeah. 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 Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, because it had Kirk's and Khan's sons. Mm-hmm. The actors in anyway, right? Um, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, um, I, I mean, if you're doing what you're doing in an organization like Starfleet, you have to have some kind of guideline. You have to have some kind of behavioral guideline that people have to submit to, and you know, at least pretend to obey and mm-hmm. to do their best to uphold and f- give really damn good reasons. If they break it, they have to have some kind of reasoning. They can't just go off and just do whatever the hell they want. Cause then you're just pirates. Right. 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 And, so, I, yeah, I think it's a necessary thing. Yes. Yeah. And dramatically it's a necessary thing. I mean, it's I mean, otherwise it just sucks you know, the tension out of those episodes. If, if Kirk doesn't have to debate whether or not to destroy the alien God yeah. or whatever, you know what I mean? Right. I think I think real world analog and, and one of the things based on what you're saying, Alan, about it being a necessary thing, I think one of the things that Star Trek does, and this is, again, somewhat reflective of the time, is it often tackle the prime directive in terms of religion. As you just said, also, Charles, there were gods, you know, such as Val and Landru. Um, and it was always, you know, and, and um, um, could have been um, Apollo if he had gotten to another planet. You know, Kirk is always like, look, we ain't got time for gods and you guys need to, you're, you're too happy and you need to struggle. So I'm going to, I'm going to make you happier by making sure you struggle. But one of the examples that as a person who was raised in the church, I recognize that some religious people do not like the episode. 
and it might be a little heavy handed, but it's one of my favorite episodes of all of the next generation. And that is who watches the watchers. And that's the episode where there's an archeological outfit on a planet of proto Vulcans who get discovered. And again, it's only, you only got 48 minutes or something. So it, it's a little precipitous in its speed, but basically because of some things that happen, one of the natives starts worshiping Picard as a god and starts calling him the Picard. And in the course of a day or two, all the superstitions and worst parts of religious belief that these Mentakans, they're called, had gotten rid of were starting to come back. Before that show was over, they were getting ready to sacrifice Troy to the guard Picard, Picard just because there was a rainstorm outside, just because they thought they knew what Picard wanted. And of course, that points out just the dangers of following religion blindly. But I do think even though it might be a little heavy handed, it's also a good example of what could happen to what you're saying, Alan, because how could they how could they not think Picard was a god, whether he was a benevolent one or not? And the best intentions, you know, just seeing them beam out would have been enough. Um, and so I think that was a, a good example of why you do need a prime directive, mm -hmm. because you saw what could have happened there. OK. So I have a question for everybody and the mm -hmm. folks in the comments too. So if you, you have a situation like the apple where these natives are living a very stagnant life and oh they're boy. basically spending their time feeding a computer and oh boy. Kirk destroys the computer, sets them free for a life of struggle instead of a life of ease. Also gives them sex. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so did Kirk do the right thing? Fox said, no. McCoy said yes. <laughs> I present to you the gift yeah. of sex. Right. Yeah. Hey, Clarence, have you seen the apple? Oh, uh, I think I have. <laughs> it's the one where they go down to the planet with the big dragon head looking cave. That's a living computer. And all the people have really funky white hair and they feed like mangoes and apples. Oh, yeah, to yeah, the... yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> that's the one. Yeah. And, it, and I think, and, and Alan and Charles, am I correct that that has the highest death toll of red shirts in Star Trek also? I don't know if it's the highest death toll, but it's pretty comedic when that planet yeah. starts wiped. One of them gets struck by lightning. One of them steps on a rock and explodes. <laughs> That's like the stereotypical red shirt episode. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then they find out that the flowers, like one of them, the, the, the flowers shoots little missiles out of it and kills yep. the guy. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So in a situation like that, should Kirk have left them to their own devices? They seem yes. content with their lives or should he have intervened and given them what, I mean, maybe they're not going to live in a paradise planet anymore. They're not going to be cared for by Langer anymore, um, but they're free to live as well, I mean, what our values say is a, a better life. So, I mean, what do you think? They don't have our values. They okay. were, that. that is the only life they know. That is the same thing as taking a wild animal out of its environment and putting it somewhere where it's safe. How is that any different? Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Clarence, you have thoughts on that one? I know you may not remember it very well. Um, well, you're but... definitely changing the course of, of these people's future in that right. situation. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's hard. <laughs> this was a gray area. <laughs> I yeah. mean, from our from our our or federation beliefs and norms of that time, of course, we want to go liberate these people. But is that your decision to make? Right. This is this is off from the question you just asked. But um, what well, I'm totally blanking on the episode. What's the first one that? Um, never mind. 
Never mind. Come back to me <laughs> later. Okay. okay. <laughs> so Clarence, you were saying, okay, so, let, so to, 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 uh, to, um, to Charles's question, and, and Charles, I think there's a good point in the question you made, because you've noticed that in the original series, what was pretty much always left out of the options was Kirk, like, going back to Starfleet and talking to anybody. That was pretty much never the thing, either because of the circumstances, like the ship's about to fall out of the sky or just because he's Kirk. There was never the thing to let the Federation Council decide. So, Mm. Clarence, if you're there and like what Veronica, and here's a very interesting thing that Veronica said. These people are happy. Spock even said they're healthy and they're happy. They haven't aged. McCoy literally can't tell how old they are. He's like, they could be 20 years or 20,000 years old. Mm. They have no concepts of violence or anger. And also no sex. It's literally Garden of Eden. And they are incredibly happy. Right? So there's that side. But the other side is they are not allowed to grow. If right. one of them tried to kiss another one, Vol would kill them. Yeah. They are they are enslaved. They're happy slaves, but they're enslaved. Mm. So do you free them or not? Yeah. And those two young folks seemed like they were they were pretty into the idea yeah you know, yes. of, of, right. getting, of getting of more physical than vol would allow you know? right right so okay. what do you do in a situation like that I, right. I guess it really boils down to people have the right to choose enslavement if they're happy mm. yeah well, well mean, again you you go back to the garden of eden you have the tree that you can't you know eat of. right it's it's the temptation there what are you going to do and mm-hmm. of course, after you make the decision, your course of your life changes going forward. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, in that episode, they forced Kirk's hand by putting the episode, yes. by putting the Enterprise in danger. So he's right. got to do something to save the Enterprise, yeah. right? Right. But I mean, if he came, if the Enterprise wasn't in danger and Kirk decided just to blow up Vol and let these people, you know, live and die and have sex on their own. I mean, <laughs> you know, does that change the equation for you? If he's not, if there's no self-preservation involved. Well, wasn't it in the prime directive that they were supposed to like sacrifice themselves and their ships yeah. to keep it up. Yep. So yes. Yeah. But they still had like a season and a half left to go. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't do that. They had contracts, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hey, you know how you don't have any friends? It's fine. The Flopcast will be your friend. Your weird podcast friend. Join us on The Flopcast every week for a silly conversation about cartoons, music, comic books, chickens, and obscure 80s pop culture trivia that no one, literally no one, could possibly care about. Find us at Flopcast.net and on the ESO Network. It'll be our little secret. Alan, did you want to do a roundup of Facebook comments real quick? Um, well, this one is per- pertinent. Uh, Facebook user, anonymous fa- Facebook user says, how does the culture thrive without sexual procreation? Mm. Well, in the episode, they were they were functionally immortal because Vol c- kept them from aging. And one assumes he obviously can do that. One assumes that if someone got injured, he could heal them. Now, in the episode, they, they did a weird question. Kirk asked, what happened if someone died? Like, like uh, I forget the, gosh, I forget the name of the young lady that was Chekhov's girlfriend in the episode. But she said, supposedly, maybe somebody fell off a cliff or something. And then they need a replacement. 
And then they theorized that Vol would authorize sex for like one couple <laughs> to replace that one child. But other than that, it was a closed society that never grew and yeah. no, no sex, basically. I'm assuming it's the same Facebook user also asks, how and in, more importantly, how did they survive for centuries with landmine rocks and deadly flowers everywhere? <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, presumably Vol, Vol's in control of the environment. So they're the right. people yeah. of Vol. So right. they can walk around and step on the rocks and this, the flowers don't shoot them and the lightning doesn't strike them. You know, <laughs> exactly. that, that'd be my guess. That only happens exactly. to interlopers. Right. And yeah. just the red shirts and Spock. <laughs> I got to say, um, I'm the one I threw out the word slavery. And if I threw out the word slavery, I triggered myself. Mm. So <laughs> I instantly started thinking, hell, they're enslaved. They got to be freed. Mm. But um, Charles, you made a good point. Remove the danger to the enterprise. And whether I like it or not, I was raised a Christian, and there are people who think that I'm an idiot for believing in a God. There are people who think that you believe in any God. It's ridiculous. So do I have the right to tell people that they can't worship what I know is a living computer if they're happy? If the ship's not in danger, I think I may have to shake my head and just leave them like they are. Yeah. And not be happy about it. Mm. And I think it would I think it would give me um a lot of sleepless nights, but whether that God's computer or a God in the sky that, let's be honest, none of us, at least I've never seen, you have the right to worship. So yeah. I guess I'd have to leave them alone. And, yeah. And it's it's tough because the people of Vol weren't asking for liberation. Yeah. You know, they weren't coming to Kirk on the sly and say, hey, could you save us from Vol? We're, we're enslaved here. They were right. fine. Right. right. All right. All right. I'm going to get to Matt's question from earlier because okay. that's exactly the point that you're making right there. And he's referencing that fantastic enterprise episode. Dear doctor, Archer mm. has a dilemma without the prime directive to guide him. He predicts a directive that will guide future starship <laughs> captains in dealing with such issues. And that is the only problem with that, that entire episode. Why? <laughs> I don't that know. Problem? That's the only problem. One, time, one day, maybe there will be a prime directive. Until someone a directive. Yeah. Directive. <laughs> He threw out the word directive. Other than that, go ahead. Sorry, Alan. <laughs> I don't understand why that's a problem, but okay. okay. Um, so you're talking about, and this is exactly the point that Phlox makes in that episode, that we are so quick to rush in to save someone that hasn't asked to be saved. And we don't, and we're seeing the need to save them, but they don't recognize that same need. And that's the 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 lesser species on that planet. You know, the whole dilemma was if the 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 main species dies out, then the lesser species could rise up and take their in its natural progression. It's the evolution of that planet. Mm. So, Claire, do you remember the episode we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, b- vaguely. <laughs> we we've discussed this episode before on our show. Have you on yours? And no, what conclusions did y'all come to? Oh, okay. It's one yeah, of my the- absolute favorite episodes because of that dilemma. Because you say, you know, he's like, how can we come out here and act like gods and, and you know, condemn this one species to death so that the other one has a chance to live? But yeah. in choosing that, aren't you also playing God and choosing against the other one? I mean, you yep. can argue that same thing both ways. Yeah, and for anyone who hasn't seen the episode or um, hasn't seen it in a while, I mean, there's Mm -hmm. two species on this planet. One is enslaving the other because the other is um, they're not as smart. 
they're less evolved as it's sort of explained in the episode, but the right. dominant species has a disease and they're going to die. They could now the enterprise crew could cure the disease, but uh flocks determines that the, the natural course of evolution on this planet is for the, I think the mank is what they're called. The lesser right, the species yeah. is, and the dest- is th- yeah. The, the mank are destined to evolve into the dominant species on the planet. I mean, you, uh, they're showing signs of advancement and being smarter than people think they are. So the decision is made to allow the, what are they called? The Velakians. Velo- I remember yeah. when we talked about this episode, I still couldn't get their name right. Yeah. The Velakians <laughs> to die out. So yeah. the mink are able to evolve to reach yeah. their full potential. And to give real world context, um, most most people think about you know we're we're Cro-Magnon, and most people think about Neanderthals as the species that we superseded. And there's actually a lot of people, mostly people European origin, actually have uh, Neanderthal DNA in them. But in the last few years, they've you know I know you've read about they there's. There may have been half a dozen to a dozen humanoid species that could have yeah. been us. I mean, in Australia and Java and Africa. And that's exactly what this planet is undergoing because there was one thought that the Neanderthals died out because we competed with them, but that's not really the case. It seems like we were, Cro-Magnon were just a little more um, adaptable because there was a huge ice age that almost killed us off. And that's exactly what you're saying, Alan and Charles, in this episode. We're seeing on that planet exactly what our planet has evidently gone through several times. And could a spacefaring feces 100,000 years ago, should they have come down and saved the Neanderthal or saved us against another one that could have, have lived? Um, that was a, that's a tough one. And I think, Veronica, on that episode, not to call you out, but I think you were not in favor of what Archer did. Did you want to save the Vlachians or no? I, I, correct. I thought they should have. But mm. there should have also been oversight, say, hey, we can cure you, but you need to take into account that these people aren't as stupid as you think they are. And that needs to be something that you guys do in order to receive the, our help. Yeah, I think a better basically. solution would have been the 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 mink need to be given support and full rights or we won't help you with this disease. Yeah. yeah. Not to put the disease in the, like the, the cure in the drawer and fly away. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, but, I, I, I wasn't real wild about that episode either. But technically, um, proffering medical aid by telling them to change their society is a violation of the prime directive. But That's they asked you know? for it. Yeah, but they didn't ask for you to tell them to change how their society is. They just want exactly. you to cure them and go away, right? That's a they good point. Yeah. Yeah, then, they, they, then they'll say, you can't tell us what to do with our with these these poor, unfortunate people who are happy and healthy and we're taking care of. So right. that's actually a violation of the prime directive, too. Yeah, my problem with that episode really is that they acted like there's a prime directive at a time when there's not. Right. Uh-huh. And so there, there's no thought of just let's just do what we need to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Although with with Phlox's people and Tapal's people, they have they have a prime directive. And I think that was one because remember, Tapal was like, you don't have the right to interfere. And this is something you humans are going to have to learn Mm -hmm. as you go out in space. And Mm -hmm. and I found it was interesting that Phlox was almost going to withhold the knowledge that he could cure the Balakians because he Mm -hmm. didn't want Archer to offer help to those people. Yeah. So Clarence put you on the hot seat again. What would you have done in that situation? <laughs> so basically you got you got Cro-Magnon and Neanderthals and the Cro-Magnon, which is us, is going to die out in like 20,000 years and you, and you can save us. I think you just got to let it go. You got to let it go. <laughs> <laughs> you 
So you would not save the Valakians? I, I, I don't think I would. Uh, if, ah. if, if, if you're following the Prime Directive, if you're following mm-hmm. the Prime Directive, that that's what it says, right? But again, big gray area. We're going to do what we need to in the certain situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you do if it was a non-sentient species right. threatening them? Would you mm. right. kill off or help them defend themselves? Oh, that's it. So you're, so you're saying if it was a sentient species and they're being sort of wiped out by a non-sentient species? Yeah, but it's the yeah. natural, how the planet yeah. is. We're, we're not right. touching any, anything. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, uh, that's I that's where the that. prime directive kind of doesn't, it, it's basically sentience is every, all and everything and always wins out. In any That's how it sort of is in decision. Star Trek. But in Star Trek, they sort of take the philosophy that like people like us are sentient and all animals are not, which I think we've right. learned is not necessarily yeah. the case. You know what I mean? There's it's, it's not quite as black and white as that. But yeah, I mean, if it's a, a sentient species who are, you know, of a level that we feel comfortable contacting them, I I, I would think that Starfleet would help them if they're asking for help. Hmm. You know, if you take that, Charles, uh, uh, Clarence, if you take that. And what you said, which is, I think is a great point, and you rejigger um, it from just a non-sentient living species to a natural phenomenon like the episode Pen Pals, then mm. I think by the time you get to someone like Picard, they would still say that was the natural order. Because in the episode, uh, you remember the episode Pen Pals? That's the one where Data was having the long-distance um, communications with, what was her name? Sar- Sarjinka? Something like that? Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah. fingers. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Right. <laughs> And basically, their planet was being destroyed by a, a planet-wide series of eruptions that they find, found out was actually caused by this huge dilithium core. But basically, their their planet was going to kill everybody on the planet through ultimate volcanism. And Picard, until he heard her voice asking for help, was ordering Data to cut communications, and he was going to let that entire planet die. Um, as a matter of fact, in season seven episode, they said that the Federation to that point had allowed something, and I forget the exact number, but actually in examples like what you mentioned, Clarence and others, they said that by that time of Picard, the Federation had allowed 60 to 75 sentient species die out because of the prime directive wow. where they didn't, they didn't step in to help them. Mm. Um, so I think, I think the answer would be Kirk would save them. Picard <laughs> probably would say no at yeah, that time. Yeah. I mean, I gotta say, I agree with Kirk about that. If it's a natural disaster, now, if yeah. you can if you can avert the natural disaster without revealing yourself <coughs> to the population, you're not that's not their natural course of evolution because there's a tectonic shift or whatever that causes their planet dead to not kill evolution. them. You know what I mean? That's not that's not interfering with them. That's just allowing them to continue. Right. <coughs> there were certainly plenty of times that Picard and crew stepped in and saved somebody from a natural disaster. And it, yeah, and it, but if you let them die, who are you helping? <coughs> right. Right. Like, right. what's the point? That, you, thank you. Now there's a dead um, planet there. <laughs> okay. I think, so, yeah. okay, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Alan. I was going to say, we're, we're running long already. We're at 46 minutes and wow. I've got a, I, I know it's a big topic. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let me get some, let me get some uh, questions here. Awesome. Um, Michael Phillips. What's the first reference to the prime directive in the original series? That would be return to No, not return. Um, return of the archons. Right. Is it? Uh, yeah, uh, toward the end of season one. So they had like more than half of the okay. season before they had ever thought about that. Was it called Prime Directive <coughs> in that one or is it still General Order 1? I think, it, I think that was the first time they used the word to say that there is an overarching law okay. that they live by. Um, 
but I haven't watched that in a long time. Uh, Doesn't it it evolve slowly, particularly over the second half of the second season, all those rogue captains causing trouble? Yeah, (laughs) it's certainly not a concept (laughs) that was in place, Mm -hmm. you know, from day one. It's something that was sort of put in place. And, you know, there's a lot of, of, once again, Keith flies the coop (laughs) every week. Every week. No, anyway. Um, but there was a lot of uh, evolution of thought about that concept. Yeah. He's coming back. No idea. My my picture froze for a second. Uh, I can hear you guys. You, you didn't see. freeze. You like completely dropped out. Huh. Of that anyway. Anyway. Um, um, one other quick wait. answer to that question, Alan. Yeah, the yeah. first time the prime directive was stated in any kind of real summary was in Bread and Circuses, the Roman okay. planet. That's okay. uh, yeah. That was one way beam down, and McCoy said the prime directive is in full effect. Uh, or a Spock asked, then McCoy starts saying, um, "No, no revelation that there are other planets and or starship capable uh, civilizations." Um, and that was when McCoy said something to the okay. point of once, once, just once, I'd like to beam down and say, behold, I am the archangel Gabriel and all that kind of stuff. So, so that was the so first time it was listed. That, no, that was the first time <coughs> the word was used, right? Yeah. I don't remember, but it was the first time those, it was truly stated, but I can't remember if that was the first, and I meant to research that, if that was the first time the word prime directive was used. It sounds like yeah. a Gene Cohn creation. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, hang on. Let me... Go back to where we're okay. Um, Matt Sweatman says they often use warp capability as a sort of line to determine application of the prime directive. That is mm-hmm. very, very true. That is definitely yeah. right. something that's that true, makes sense Matt. to me because yeah, yeah. if you once, once you develop warp, you're going to run into the other species no matter what eventually, yeah, right. Like, that's a good, that's a good point to introduce yourselves <laughs> on, on, on and, our terms, yeah. And the thing is, Matt, you're right, that's that's it's it's like it's like it's two things because there's a there's a kind of sort of dividing line of warp pre-warp. But then there's the other thing, such as even if you have a warp capable society, if it's, say, not part of the Federation or something, you're still not supposed to interfere with them. For example, in the um, in the t- next generation episodes where the Klingon civil war took place, where Worf ended up going over to the Klingon Defense Force and so forth, Picard even though Galron wanted his help, moved the Enterprise out because it was a prime directive thing. They couldn't interfere in that Klingon war. Um, and so you have it on that level, too. But yeah, primarily it's pre-warp and post-warp, as evidenced by that awesome episode, First Contact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and somebody just mentioned First Contact. Um, and Kyle watching on YouTube uh, to Clarence's question, who determines what is or isn't sentient without thinking about Voyager's Dr. Hologram? Mm. I mean, that's, that's the other level of that question. Wasn't that part of the discussion uh, with data where yes. there was like yeah. six things that determined sentience or yeah. something? Three. Well, Maddox had the three, right. three things to determine sentience. Right. Yeah. Okay, so do you have more some more comments or? Because I've got a question. Michael Go Phillips ahead. says that's what I thought. Bread and Circus is one of the Rogue Captain episodes. <laughs> yeah. And a Facebook user says, wasn't it in Private Little War with the yeah. Klingons providing weapons to the native civilization? The first, uh, Alan, you were correct. The first mention of the Prime Directive was Return to the Archons. 
Okay. Yes. That was the first mention. The first like <laughs> real, yeah. The first mission statement where they kind of fleshed right, it right, out was bread right, and circuses. Right, right, right. I think it was mentioned once. Yeah. And and then as they go from there, it sort of gets applied in in right. new ways. And yeah. Okay. What's your question? Chuck? So to use a recent example, um, in the first episode of Strange New Worlds, entitled Strange New Worlds, mm-hmm. you've got a pretty big prime directive situation going on there, right? So yeah. do you think they handle it the right way? I mean, they disguise themselves as the aliens. They go in to try to save Una. Ultimately, Pike goes on worldwide TV on that planet, brings <laughs> the Enterprise down. And was that the right thing to do? I mean, if he feels like they're going down the path that we went down and he can try to avoid that or avert it, is he right to do it? Or should he have left that alone? I, hmm. I, I personally think he was right in that situation because... Yep. The whole reason they had advanced so much was because of the fallout of the whole discover, uh, discovery jump to the future. Mm. Uh, right. Yeah. So yeah. in that case, he probably shouldn't have done it, but yeah. I, he's justified in what he did. And, okay. and, and like point. the thing, yeah, like the thing that Keith was reading to us earlier, if you, you, you have lenient or you have leeway when it's correcting a previous yeah. uh, offense or a, a previous mm. occurrence. Okay. So yeah, they're essentially he at least in Pike's mind, he's fixing a problem that the Federation yeah. itself created. Right. Yeah. And so then and along those same lines, that's why in a piece of the action, Kirk and the company had no problem just talking about phasers and phasering an entire block and beaming a guy up because the horizon had already contaminated them and they knew about spaceships. And so but but see, but even at that point, at the end of the day, Kirk basically left the criminal organization in charge and said they're going to collect money every year. So I don't know about that. Might have been a further. I don't know about that. Might have been a further violation of the Prime Directive. <laughs> yeah. Well, that situation though, I mean, you, there's no putting that genie back in the bottle. You can't go around and yeah. collect all the fedoras and Tommy guns. <laughs> you know, like at that point, you're working with what you've got to work with. So I mean, That's what do we true. think? In the comments and and here on the panel, is the Prime Directive a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Uh, and how I mean, should the, should a captain have the leeway to break it if he feels it's necessary, or she, if he or she or they Thank feel it's necessary? I I feel like that it is needed because inherently people are stupid and want to have <laughs> power, and so yeah. there, you you need that. I don't care how much we advance, there's going to be those people that decide they want to take over the world. Um, so you need it for those people, but there also mm-hmm. needs to be a leeway of people like with. The just the recent example Chuck made of with Pike of having the leeway to make change when it's needed. Hmm. You know, I'm I'm thinking back, and I think this was this this was first season TNG, and I think it was the episode where the people ran around in their pajamas. <laughs> and justice, you know, yeah, 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 that's it. And I and I remember uh, the Picard quote. He's talking to uh, there. He goes again. <laughs> anyway, he's talking to Crusher and he's telling her the prime directive isn't just to protect these other societies. It's to protect us. Mm. It's to protect us from getting involved, from feeling the responsibility to to interfere. It's to keep us from meddling. Mm. Yeah. So it's just as much for us as it is for other others. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a good point. That's very well put, Alan. Well, thank you. Yeah, we're well put. I'll take it. 
Um, speaking for myself, I think a prime directive is necessary. And I think about it from real world things and apologize to anybody listening from across the pond. But if you look at um, if you look at the British Empire and the Spanish Spanish Empire and the Portuguese empires, they went into what they considered to be primitive countries, which was Africa, South America, Central America, North America, and they called themselves civilizing those people. Mm -hmm. And they gave them certain technologies. They also gave them smallpox and things like that. But they also did other things in Africa and here in the Americas where they said, you guys are primitives and you're worshiping a God. There is no God but the one God. And therefore, you can't worship your gods anymore. And they forced them to become Christians. I mean, missionaries went hand in hand with conquistadors. And that's a violation. Um, and to this day, you know, we're, we're dealing with right now, even in places like Australia and New Zealand, we're dealing with the children of Aborigine who were forced to go to, quote unquote, white schools or civilized schools where they had their cultures beaten out of them. They were told they couldn't believe in things like the dream time and gods. And there's a obviously there's a racism there and there's a cultural condescension there. But a lot of those conquering powers honestly felt they were doing right by those quote unquote primitive peoples. Yeah. And so, you know and, and I think that's what the Prime Direct is all about. So mm. turning this back around, if there's a mm -hmm. space faring species that was watching us do that, would they be breaking the Prime Directive to keep the British from breaking the Prime Directive <laughs> with the rest <laughs> of the world? <laughs> hmm. That's that's a Good question, Veronica. You touched on something we didn't get to talk about because one of the things about uh, we talk about the Prime Directive, but one of the things that Star Trek talks about is in the Federation, there are certain things you are told to do. For example, a planet cannot have slavery and join the Federation. Yeah. And so there are mm. certain cultural yeah. things that and I don't think the Ferengi could ever have joined the Federation considering they were oppressing women all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think that's a very good point, Veronica, uh, because there are times where you say, what do you do? Do you stand back and let it happen? I guess if you think it's the natural order, you have to. Right. So yeah. here's, here's a couple of opposing comments from different okay. users. Matt Great. Sweatman says, it's a good dramatic device, giving plenty of opportunity for debate amongst the crew and mm -hmm. amongst podcasters. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> Conversely, Dan Lecky thinks that the prime directive is a terrible concept. Like there's not even a consensus about how it's defined could hardly be any worse. Okay. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Dan, I think it's a loose law, but I think it's a necessary law. But I think yeah. as everybody here has pointed out, it's, it's, it's too gray because like, as you say, as we all saying, it serves the needs of every story. Mm. But I think, I think it's kind of important. One thing I forgot to mention real quick, guys, and apologize. I know we're running long is why I've completely forgotten. I can't remember the name of the name of the episode, but Voyager season one. Yeah. Do you, oh. do you remember? Do you remember the episode where they went to the planet where the people had that that platform that could transport you 30,000 light years? Oh, yeah. 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 And they refused to share it with Janeway because it was against their prime yeah. directive. And Janeway and Janeway even said something to the fact that we're so smug and applying it all the time. But boy, it's weird when it comes our way because they're not used to that. I love that episode for that, if nothing else. Yeah. And that that reminds me of a Kirk episode. Uh, mm -hmm. It was Return to Tomorrow, the first one that um, mm -hmm. uh, what's her name is in. Diana uh, Muldar. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Diana Muldar. Mm -hmm. um, and 
these very, very advanced beings inhabit three of the Enterprise crew members, and they have this incredibly advanced knowledge that yes. they are going to bestow. And my favorite Shatner scene in the entire original series is him making that impassioned speech to his crew about yeah. just think of all the things that we can learn. Think of yeah. all the advances. And I, I watched that episode so many times and I thought, holy cow, he is so good in that scene. And then one day it hit me. This is the exact reverse of the whole prime directive thing where now <laughs> we are the more primitive and we're saying, yes. wouldn't it be great if we got all that stuff <laughs> yes. that we might not know how to handle and that we might yeah. do stupid things with and might change the you know direction of our development. And I thought, wow, what a hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're right. Cause he sucked in Scotty talking about start a uh, warp engine the size of a walnut. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. there ever a moment when Picard well, had a situation like that? Well, we're right at an hour. So if anyone yeah. has any final thoughts about Veronica's question or the prime directive, now's the time. Super, super quick. Mm. Dan Leckie says, you don't need the prime directive if you simply take edict to heart. But that's the problem. You see plenty yeah. of examples yeah. in all of the series that mm. there are captains, there are admirals, there are whatever that don't. You have right. to have some kind of overarching law or regulation yeah. or I think you have directive. To. You yeah. have I think to. you have to. Yeah, because uh, you, you could hurt people in ways you you just don't realize. Mm. I mean, the ideal, obviously, is to Burnham, take yeah. meaning to heart, but you're always going to have somebody who doesn't. What did right. do? She thought she was helping by doing the, the mutiny and... Turns out she oh. started the entire war. No, and... that's bull that's BS. Burnham was right. <laughs> oh, exactly. we're, not, we're not getting into that. Though. Dropped. <laughs> nice. All right. Any other closing thoughts about the prime directive? I, uh, I have one time. closing thought. Oh. Tuvix. <laughs> hey, I just want to mention time real quick. Um, time travel, changing yep. time. Yeah, oh. that's a whole nother thing You're right. You think about. The yeah. first question that we got in before we even started the discussion mm -hmm. was, and I don't know who it was from, um, said, if you could keep just one, which would you keep, the prime directive or the temporal prime directive? Oh, crap. <laughs> uh, another big discussion. I, yeah, I would keep the temporal prime directive <laughs> of the two. Agreed. Agreed. You can mess up everybody. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I agree. I agree with that because you can come back. Yeah, you can. You, we could end up with a. We could end up with the Voth actually still on Earth or something like that. Yeah. So, or the Andathals actually controlling us. So I agree. <laughs> one one super quick last comment. Uh -huh. After the snap, movies and TV says I jumped in at the end because I don't understand time zones. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we're happy to have you, even if it yeah. is at the very yeah. end. Yes. Yeah, and yes. luckily for you, the, the video will be available on our Facebook page and our YouTube, and we'll be going out as an audio podcast. So you've got three opportunities, so I hope everyone watches it and listens to it three times. Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. All right. And any, comment uh, on, the, on the videos. Yes. We'll interact with you and answer questions. All right, so any other closing thoughts before we... Nobody? Uh well, right. I just, Not even I just think that, the, Come on, Keith. yeah, I just think, <laughs> yeah, I just, I think that, and I, and I, and, and we all have our prejudices and stuff. And as I said, I, 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 I triggered myself talking about things like slavery and colonialism and stuff like that. I think a prime directive as you move out into space, especially what kind of piggybacking what Alan said, 
we humans are not perfect. And we will, despite what Star Trek is saying, we're going to carry our prejudices and things into space if we get out there. And we got to have some rules to prevent that because we could go somewhere and look at somebody and say, hey, you should do this. And we could cause them to end up like us. And we don't know what other societies out there could develop. They don't have to be just like us. And I think that's what the Prime Directive is all about. Yeah. Well, Dan Leckie says that he thoroughly enjoyed this discussion. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for watching. And thanks, thanks for taking so many great comments and questions. That was really awesome. Yeah. And yeah. Thank you for everybody for joining us and for joining in. And Clarence, thank you for being here today. This is yeah. a lot of fun. Uh, thank you for having me. I, I enjoyed the discussion and can't wait to just listen in next time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you picked up at least one new listener. Matt Sweatman says yeah. that he's going to check out your podcast. So, yeah. Thank you, sir. <laughs> so where, where can people find more of you, Clarence? Uh, just head on over to DiscussingNetwork.com where you can find our uh, podcast there. We have Discussing Who, Discussing Trek, Comics, Movies, and TV. And um, yeah, we do a tech podcast as well called Tech Petition. So you can check them all out at DiscussingNetwork.com. Awesome. And how about you, Alan? Um, I've got another podcast on the ESO Network, and it is called Modern Musicology. And we just released an episode about <laughs> songs that. Sh oh, oh my God. God. I want to squish it. You just broke me mid sentence. <laughs> <laughs> puppies do that to me. Those of you that are listening, he picked up an adorable little teeny tiny puppy that I know is going to eventually get into a big giant dog, and I will hate it, hate it at that point. But the puppy is adorable. I don't oh. like dogs. Oh, thank you. You're weird. <laughs> okay, so my podcast, we just released a, a new episode about songs that should have been singles. Our next episode is going to be uh, the flip side of that discussion, and it's going to be talking about killer B-sides of singles. And I have my publishing company, Cosmic Press. You can find it at CosmicPress.com or on Facebook or on Twitter on, or on Instagram. And how about you, Keith? You can find me on the standard social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram for now. And I am toying around with some podcasts, but that's going to be in the future. Okay. And how about us, Veronica? FeltNerdy.com. And? Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. Yep. And follow Felt Nerdy because we're we're in the middle of right now of prepping a Star Trek show for Dragon Con, a Doctor Who show for Dragon Con. Um, Stargate. A Stargate show for Dragon Con. And uh, <laughs> probably the dirtiest puppet show we've ever done. So, <laughs> yes. In addition to family-friendly stuff, we've also for a long time done short-form uh, adult stuff and we're doing a full hour long show uh there's going to be naked puppets and it's going to be wild so Ooh, follow wow. felt nerdy and you get to see some previews <laughs> of that as we go along as we're frantically racing for getting our shows ready for dragon con <laughs> and veronica do you have a closing for us this week two vicks <laughs> of course <laughs> um, one quick last thing i just want to say for anybody who's only listened to this on the podcast release Go back and watch the video because, and watch the other videos too, because when we do our like roundup at the end where we all say where we can see more of each other or whatever, Veronica has this thing <laughs> that she does, this particular like arm thing of when she does her Muppets <laughs> podcast thing, and she does it the same every time. And it, is, it is so Great. precious and so cute. It is great. I, I noticed it. I, I didn't say anything, but I noticed it too. It's very energetic. It's great. Looking around. The even when we're not, when, even when you're not live, I do it. <laughs> I can't do it without it. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.